Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Intelligent Advisor, the audio podcast for a new generation of financial professionals brought to you by Advisor 2.0. These podcasts are produced and sponsored by Regis Media, a niche provider of content and social media marketing for financial advice and planning firms. I'm Robin Powell. Our guest on this episode is Sam Adams. Now, Sam spent 17 years with Dimensional Fund Advisors and much of that time in London, where he set up DFA's European operation. In 2014, he founded Vert Asset Management in California. Vert designs and builds sustainable portfolios, educates investors and financial advisors about ESG investing, and helps advice firms to engage with clients and prospects about sustainability and values-based advice. Over the next 40 minutes, Sam and I discuss his time at Dimensional, the growth of ESG investing on both sides of the Atlantic, how to combine ESG with an evidence-based approach, and how advice firms can best integrate sustainability into their value proposition. Wherever your firm is on this particular journey, I can assure you, you'll find what Sam has to say on this subject, both interesting and useful. Enjoy the interview. So Sam, thank you very much for joining us. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, Robin. I'm amazed that um, our paths haven't crossed earlier, given, you know, we work in this very a small space of evidence-based investing. And of course, we, we share this interest in, in ESG as well. It feels like our paths have crossed. I mean, I, I, your, your stuff is all over my feed. So I, I'm reading about you all the time. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, I hope, hope we're not overloading you with content there, Sam. Um, you, you spent 17 years with with Dimensional in, in all. Um, and, and, you know, effectively, you, you started DFA's European operation. Well, what are your sort of overriding memories of your of your time in Europe? I spent some pretty important years uh, in in London. I fell in love there. I got married there. Had three kids. Became a UK citizen. So it's a, it's a pretty formative years yeah. um, there. But from the from the business perspective, you know, we started from scratch, and then we ended up working with well over a hundred advisors. And I just remember. Just the, the the passion and the commitment that the advisors had uh, to their clients, and uh, how much fun we had. Um, you know, we did a lot of events, um, and uh, I just really enjoyed getting to know so many uh, so many uh, advisory firms, uh, both in the UK and Europe. So it was presumably during your time at Dimensional that this interest in sustainable investing developed. So how did exactly did that come about? Well, what happened was I've always been passionate about sustainability because I'm a, a climber mm. and a skier. So you spend time in the mountains, <laughs> you notice climate yeah. change pretty, pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But I was launching the Dimensional Sustainable Core Strategy in 2012. And uh, I, as I was talking to advisors about it, they were really happy with the strategy and they didn't really ask difficult questions about it per se. They asked these questions. What do I do with the rest of my portfolio, right? The other asset classes. How do I invest that for sustainability? And then how do I talk to clients about this? Um, 
And I didn't have good answers to that. So I went to my wife, Sarah, uh, and she had an impact investing consulting business. She helped advisors uh, roll out sustainable investing strategies and impact strategies uh, for their clients. Mm. And I said, what, um, what, what are the funds that are out there and what are the stories that advisors are telling? And she said, well, you know, the, the evidence-based advisor doesn't like any of the funds that are out here. They're, the, the funds that are available are, are active. They're expensive. They don't have an asset class remit. They kind of go anywhere and do like sustainable stuff. It <laughs> doesn't fit into mm-hmm. a modern advisor's portfolio. Now, this is, you know, um, almost 10 years ago now. Um, and then I said, well, what about the stories? And she said, oh, they're all, you know, 5% alpha and you're going to save the polar bears and everything's going to be great. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, wow, okay. somebody needs to step in there and um, provide a real service to advisors to help them uh, do more sustainable investing in ways that's consistent with the way they run their businesses now. And long story short, uh, Sarah and I decided to start that business and we did that um, with Vert Asset Management. So, so what exactly does does Vert Asset Management do then? So, our mission is to make sustainable investing easier for financial advisors. Um, we do that in a couple of ways. The main way is we build investment solutions for the advisors so they can do more of their portfolios in a sustainable way. Uh, we only have one at the moment. It's um, a global real estate strategy. Uh, it's an ESG strategy. It's actually the first. Uh, ESG real estate um, fund available in the United States, um, but it's just a U.S. registered vehicle at the moment. So that's the product side. But a lot of the work we do is education and consulting. We have an education uh, business at verteducation.com. We do events. We do training. We do uh, consulting to help advisors who want to start integrating sustainability into their business do that, how to build portfolios, how to uh, talk about them with clients, uh, and how to grow your business with a sustainable investing offering. Of course, we're, he- we're hearing about sustainable investing all the time. And I, I, I sort of never know whether that's really the the fund management industry marketing's doing the speaking there, or, or whether it really is you know, a genuine growth in interest, uh, both among uh, investors uh, and among advisors. And certainly the figures suggest that clearly there have been these huge inflows into sustainable funds. Um, you, you, of course, have a, a sort of Anglo-American perspective, if you like. So can you see it growing in, in the US and, and the UK? Uh, is it faster, growing faster in one than the other? What, what, what's your view on that? It's, it's definitely going to grow um, and continue to grow quickly uh, in the U.S. and the U.K. And the reason why I say that is before we, you know, shifted our careers to go down this path, we looked at it and said, is there real demand for sustainable investing? And is it a real strategy, <laughs> right? Uh, mm. And our answer came from the really big institutional investors. Right? And it turns out that now 10 of the 15 largest pension uh, funds in the world. That's, you know, the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund or, or uh, the Japanese um, Pension Fund, you know, all those real big institutions, they're adopting mm-hmm. ESG investing. They're using it in their regular portfolios. And if you think about that, 
they have their fiduciaries to millions of people. They don't have a uh, a values based, uh, you know, um, um, a more moral uh, code that says we're going to do it this way. They're they're charged with being a fiduciary and returning as much uh, money as they can to their constituents. And so, you realize that this this is a risk based um, system that is additive to the portfolio management process. Now it turns yeah. out that that. ESG investment profits is very attractive to the sustainably minded investor or consumer. Uh, and so it's this perfect world where you've got this great investment strategy, you've got demand from the clients, and that's the part that's that's different than the revolution from active to passive, Robin, is that mm-hmm. th- and on this side, the clients are actually asking for it. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. So it's going to it's definitely going to grow fast. I haven't checked the numbers in the UK recently, but um, in the US, the amount of money flowing into ESG strategies in 2020 was 10 times larger than 2018. Wow. Right. So it's more than doubling every year. I saw a, a, a survey the other day. I think it was by HSBC. And uh, I've actually seen similar surveys with similar results uh, in the past. And it was basically suggesting that there is this gap, if you like, in, in what advisors think their clients want and what clients actually do want. In other words, you know, clients want to um, invest sustainably. Uh, and of course, there are lots of clients who still don't know that it's possible to, to invest sustainably and kind of make a difference, if you like, to the environment through through their sort of pension retirement saving. But there's this there's this gap, um, and and certainly you know I see them all the time on social media. Financial advisors saying, "How dare you tell me what what my clients think?" You know, I get no interest in ESG at all. What what, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, at the first blush, it's hard to reconcile that, right? You, you, the surveys show seventy five mm. plus percent of investors, when asked, say, "I'm interested in sustainable investing," and yet they're not asking their financial advisor. Well, if you look at it a little deeper, it's not that difficult to understand why, right? Like if I wanted to go find an organic or sustainable meal, right? I'm not going to drive down the street and go to McDonald's and ask them, hey, you got anything organic? And then go to Burger King and then ask them, hey, you got anything organic? And then go to the next restaurant. That's, that's not how we yeah. do that anymore, right? We go online and we look and we say, okay, who's got what I'm looking for? The sustainably minded investor who's aware that it's possible, right, is checking advisors out online before they go. And they'll know if you have an offering or not based on what they see, uh, based on your brand, based on what you offer. So if you don't have it on your website and people are not asking for it, that's not surprising, right? So the other part is what you brought up, Robin. There's an awful lot of people who don't know that it's available. But it, it, but I mean, try this out. Ask somebody uh, if you could invest um, the way you invest now, you know, with similar expected returns, but you could reduce the, the carbon footprint or the carbon emissions in your portfolio by 50, 80 percent. Uh, would you do mm-hmm. that? Uh, I think a lot of people would say yes to that. You've hit upon a really interesting point there about uh, future expected returns. And as you know, the jury is still out a little bit on on whether ESG will outperform, underperform, or perform about the same as the broader market over the long term. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the likes of Larry Swedrow, for example, who is maybe, should we say, an ESG skeptic. There are, there are many others who 
actually are quite bullish about about ESG and think that in the long term it will outperform. What's your take on that? Well, you, the first part of your statement is absolutely true. Uh, the jury's still out on it, and it will be out on it for a long time. Um, and the second part of your statement that uh, Larry's a skeptic, uh, is, I agree. Um, I'm writing a book with Larry at the moment on sustainable investing. <laughs> right. uh, it'll, okay. It'll be out at the end of the year. Um, and he's skeptical because of the claims made by the financial services industry, right? You're going to get a whole bunch of alpha by investing on ESG. Not you know not necessarily the case. So um, I write the chapters on why you should do it, how to do it, what it means to do it, uh, and what sustainable investing is all about. And he's writing the chapters on here's what the evidence says: good, bad, and mm-hmm. ugly. Right. Um, and you got to remember that ESG investing is 15 years old. So we just don't have um, enough data to say with authority, it's going to perform this way versus that way. Um, Mm. SRI investing, you know, excluding stuff you don't like, goes back hundreds of years, right? And we know that there's potential costs to that due to diversification issues. And and, um, traditionally, SRI has been more expensive. So we're we're, we're just going to bring the truth here and let people uh, make the decisions that's fit for their business. But here's the great thing about what the financial services industry has done and what the investment management industry has done. They've built a set of sustainable investment products that have varying degrees of ESG tilt, if you will, some that are going to hug the market and give you market rates of return with a you know a light tilt to sustainability, others with more of a tilt to sustainability with more tracking error. And advisors and investors can now choose to say, okay, I, I want to stay close to the market to fit my uh, financial goals, or I need to be more sustainable because that's important to me, and I can I can deal with the the variation in performance. So it's really not a question of you know I'm I'm destined to outperform or I'm destined to underperform. Uh, there's going to be you know better times and worse times in this, like any tilt, uh, and it's a question mm-hmm. of design for your portfolio on on what's appropriate for you and your clients. What about in in the kind of shorter term, though the 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 concern expressed by many that that we're seeing all this money going into sustainable funds, you know, that there's a there's a danger perhaps that that a a bubble is developing. Is that a valid concern? I mean, it's a from a concern perspective, it's valid, right? You should be concerned about all these things and and take a look at them. But on closer scrutiny of that particular issue, it doesn't really bear up because ESG is unlike, uh, say, small cap investing or even value investing. Um, People disagree on what an ESG stock is, right? If there were 200 stocks that were the ESG stocks, and then there was, you know, 10,000 that weren't, you could see a bubble forming because all this money going into ESG could potentially push the prices of those 200 stocks up. But if MSCI says, Tesla is a poor ESG stock and Sustainalytics is saying it's a great ESG stock, well, then we don't have a consensus on that, right? So all that money pouring into uh, ESG uh, is going into uh, <laughs> you know different yeah. stocks. Uh, so it's hard to, 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 to argue that there's a, a demand-driven bubble there. What's probably 
actually happening is that more and more investors are realizing there's risk in certain sectors like oil and gas, most obviously, and saying, okay, we're going to pull our money or reduce our allocations to those areas. And so I think maybe more of this effect you're, you're seeing from, from people pulling away from the riskier or the, the lower performers. You've sort of touched on this already, um, but another concern that um, people have uh, and advisors have particularly about um, ESG is greenwashing. I mean, there's no doubt there's a lot of it going on. How concerned should we be about that, do you think? I mean, from a macro level, I, I'm, I'm not concerned. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered, right? I mean, if the conventional investment management uh, firms are, are starting to dress their portfolios up to be a bit greener, that means they know that there's demand and that they know there's something to it, perhaps on the, from the investment side. Uh, that's a that's a good thing. They're, they're, maybe they'll get closer to doing it in actuality at some point. Yeah. From a yeah. practitioner standpoint, you need to be concerned about it because what products you're selecting, what investment solutions you're building, you need to know whether they're doing what they're saying. Um, and so we've we've got some frameworks to help advisors do that. You know, look at their ESG tilt. What are they holding? Are they actually um, walking the talk there? Uh, from a firm perspective, are they a sustainable investment manager? Are they building capacity in financial services? Are they signing on to uh, membership organizations? Are they trying to help the you know capitalism shift its way? And for, for a lot of clients, most importantly, the third way to look at uh, asset managers is are they using their voice, right? Their bully pulpit as that collective shareholder, um, to engage with the companies and get, try to get them to improve the ways they're doing things. If a fund manager isn't engaging and isn't trying to build uh, sustainability up in financial services, eh, a lot of investors will say, "That's I'm not interested in, in those guys. They're just jumping on this bandwagon. Which leads very neatly on to the area of corporate governance, which, which I'd like to ask you about uh, next. Um, there is this perception, isn't there, that, that active management is the way to go if you want to sort of invest with your conscience, because the perception is that active managers are the ones who are holding boards to account on issues like social justice, workers' conditions, uh, the environment, and, and so on. Whereas you know, and, and, and a, this is something that actually Larry Swedro has written about. The evidence actually shows that, that active managers are pretty dreadful when it comes to corporate governance. And OK, the, the passive managers, the, you know, the, the lights of Vanguard and, and here in the UK, uh, legal in general, uh, who I'm sure you'll remember well from your time here. I mean, they are especially good on ESG. There's a lot of um, misconception around this whole issue, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, there's there's two words, there's two places where active comes up. There's active management, right? So which is stock picking and market timing, and then there's active shareholder engagement, right? <laughs> and active being an active engager is is talking to the companies, um, uh, get putting proposals to them to to have them change their ways for the better. And those are very different things, right? So you can have a a uh, passive manager like uh, legal in general, like you said, who's an active engager, right? They're saying, okay, we're a long-term buy and hold investor of all stocks or virtually all stocks. Our option uh, and our duty, uh, an opportunity is to try and get them to be better around that. My old firm dimensional was, you know, very active in that sense in the corporate governance space, trying to make sure 
that the board had the right risk controls and the right approach to monitoring what management was doing. So let's once we parse those things out, on the active management side, whether stock picking and market timing is a good idea, there's no evidence that uh, active managers do better from a per- performance perspective in ESG than they do anywhere else, right? So that's pretty poor, right? <laughs> they don't do that well. Yeah. Um, but there is a nuance here in that uh, ESG uh, is another set of information, like factors, if you will, that it requires inclusion of that. And so now you have, you know, ESG indices and you can you can follow those. Um, but there is a bit more of decision making to be done sometimes around uh, securities. So, you know, don't buy the investment management industry's stories that, that ESG is this wonderful opportunity for active management out, to outperform. We don't we, we don't see that that's the case, but do look for managers that are taking their role as a shareholder uh, seriously to uh, improve outcomes. So what's your view on uh, divestment? Jack Bogle, uh, when he was asked about this, and I know from talking to him, you know, uh, in, his, in his later years, th- this was a real concern for Jack Bogle, uh, corporate governance. His view was that, you know, if an active manager t- turned their nose up at, at what a company was doing or not doing on the environmental side or whatever, they, they could just get rid of them. Whereas a, a passive manager, they have to carry on engaging them, with them. They, they, they have that mandate, if, if, if you like. So would you say on the whole, uh, if, if you go down, shall we say, a broadly passive route, that the thing to do is to go with a passive manager who will be very big on corporate governance? Or do you go with a passive manager who just simply divests from all the oil companies and the polluters, if you like? What's your view on that? I, I think we need both, right? And let's use Exxon as an example, right? We, we had, you know, their stock price cratered over the last 10 years because lots and lots of people were starting to divest from them. And that, let's be clear about that. You take your money out of a stock, you're not making the price go down, right? It takes a lot of people <laughs> choosing to do that. Um, uh, and then did they, they didn't really change their stripes and we still don't know if they don't, but it took an active shareholder, uh, you know, um, coming on, putting on a proposal and um, getting uh, the board members changed uh, to even get any type of uh, glimmer of change happening there. Um, so I, I think from an overall perspective, we need both. We need people to divest. Um, and we need people to stay in and engage. Um, so I think that comes down to a personal preference. Um, there are a whole host of reasons, um, moral and ethical, to not hold some of these companies, these particularly these oil and gas companies. If you look at their their track records, they're they're you know a lot of them are criminal, effectively. Um, mm-hmm. You just do it on that perspective. You can also do it from a risk-based perspective. Like we're moving to a low-carbon economy. Some of these oil and gas companies are not transitioning. Some of them are, but some of them are like Exxon are refusing to adopt clean energy. And so um, you can do it from a purely financial perspective. So there's plenty of reasons to divest. Um, and I don't think anyone should be uh, criticized uh, for divesting. It's, it's just a choice. As, as you said, uh, about sort of 10 years ago, 
um, th there were very few what, what, what you and I might call evidence-based advisors who were using ESG funds, if, if you like. They just simply weren't the, the products available, frankly. But, but that has changed in both the US and, and here in the UK, for example, we, we have a firm like Global Systematic Investors, where one of your former um, dimensional colleagues, Garrett Quigley, um, has with with his colleague Bernd Hanker has built an evidence based ESG proposition, if you like, that tilts particularly towards value. What's your view on whether evidence based investing sort of lends itself to 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 ESG? I think it lends itself absolutely perfectly well, right? If you think about it, particularly a factor based strategy like Dimensional and Garrett and and lots of others do now, the 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 investment challenge, right, is to deliver um, a return within certain bounds of the market, right, while mm -hmm. capturing these dimensions or factors or uh, risks that you're looking for. For example, I want small cap, I want value, I want momentum, I want ESG, right? That that yeah. construction process um, is very similar. So uh, to the degree that a firm has experience in tilting to these different uh, areas of the market away from, you know, a, a purely market cap weighted approach, um, ESG fits right into that. You understand the constraints, you understand the trade-offs, uh, how far to go to get certain outcomes. Uh, and it's just, a, it's an excellent application of the technology. Okay, so is it say that there's an advisor who's listening to this um, and thinking, yeah, I, I, I really do need to go down this route. How should advisors engage with their clients and prospects about ESG? Well, I always like the honest approach. Just come out and say where you're at on your journey, right? If you say, you know, I'm looking into this, I'm start, I'm starting to see, you know, what we can do with regards to our investment strategies, and we're building something. But I want to let you know about that. Great. If you only have uh, ESG model portfolios next year, conventional model portfolios, just say, hey, this is what we have at the moment. We can't do impact investing or SRI or custom portfolios. If you can do the whole thing. Uh, do that. The only thing I would say don't do is don't ignore it. Don't you have to come you have to come out at this point and say to clients, this is what we're doing around this. Um, it's that big a part of the conversation that you should uh, come out and say, you know, this is what we're doing around uh, sustainability. It's just it's I don't see that it's on. Uh, in even now that you can not have a position on it. Um, so do come out. Now, from the standpoint of how to figure out what to do that, there's lots and lots of resources out there uh, to help you do that. But definitely, definitely get started. Well, what about marketing and, and, and business development? If you know, if you decide to make ESG, um, you know, part of your I say niche, I mean, presumably eventually it won't, well, we hope it won't be a niche eventually, but how should firms go about incorporating ESG into their uh, marketing and, and business development? Well, I'm glad you said niche because our education uh, programs talk about uh, community marketing. What I always say is that community marketing is niche marketing, but people got so scared of niche marketing that they didn't like the word and we rebranded it to community marketing, right? Because a niche is powerful because you're going uh, deep 
getting into what somebody's really interested in or something that's very particular to them, right? So, you, you know, retiring dentists, uh, okay, that, well, I, I know what that their challenge is, I'm really, but then I can only get retiring dentists. Uh, that's not a very big market. <laughs> so that's kind of scary, but there's a lot of power to getting, um, going deep, right, into someone's particular issues. Now, here's the wonderful thing about the sustainably minded investor. It's deep, right? You can get right into what they're most passionate about, but it is not narrow, right? There are people who are concerned about sustainability from every part of the country, every part of the world, from every different profession, uh, all across the socioeconomic status, all across the political spectrum. Um, you know, there there really are uh, people everywhere. So you can really put a message out there that you have solutions for the sustainably minded uh, uh, person uh, and you're not really going to shriek your universe. There's a, there's a concern here in the U S that you're choosing a political side, um, which is just mm. a, a weird aberration of uh, recent history um, exactly. that will be uh, cleaned up pretty soon. The younger Republicans have, have figured out that climate change is real. Um, it's, it's just a, a great uh, business building opportunity. Now, we in, a, in our workshops, we give advisors ways to present their offering in more subtle ways, in more direct ways, depending on what your business building and your brand and your positioning uh, wants to be. But, you know, at this point, people aren't going to not eat at a restaurant uh, because they're serving organic food, right? So it's, it's not like people are not going to invest with you because you have a sustainable investment option. Are there any firms, you know, in the US or, or here in the UK who who you think are, and, and these may be or maybe not clients of your own, um, that you feel do ESG, if you like, particularly well? Um, and if so, which ones, can I ask, are they? Well, I'm a non-executive director on EBI portfolio. So, um, yeah, we do it well. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. so there's one option for you. I'm not really all caught up on what all the firms in the UK are doing, uh, but I'm imagining that they're quite far ahead of what the Americans are doing. We do have some, um, are of some advisory firms here who have been doing it a long time. Uh, and doing it very well. But my my definition of doing it well is any firm that is moving along the, the track, right? I mean, if you think about an IFA firm and where you want to be in 2025 or in 2030, can you imagine not having an ESG uh, investment solution? That's hard to imagine. So Begin with that end in mind, say begin with 2030 and say, I want at that point in 2030, I want to have an ESG solution. I want to have a, a values-based or a socially responsible investment solution where I can tune the custom portfolios to clients' uh, specific desires You know, for the rarer client that needs that. Uh, some impact investing options, uh, maybe help with uh, philanthropy. Uh, you know, a kind of a full service uh, integrating people's humanity with their money, right? Re reattaching humanity to money. And where are you on that journey? Uh, you know, are, are you just building in a set of uh, ESG portfolios to go alongside your standard portfolios now? Great. You're doing great. Are you adding a, you know, a next level? That's what I think is is excellence at the moment is anyone who's just developing their offering even more than they've had.
And what would you say to advise firms that currently aren't offering sustainable funds? And and, and maybe what, what would you say to those who say that they're, like I mentioned earlier, that they're, they're, their clients aren't interested? I mean, are you interested in going out of business? I mean, if you're, if you're, if, if you're, if you're leaving the industry, fine. Okay. You know, sell your book to, to, to somebody and, and, and walk away. Um, but if you look at the numbers, when they talk about the next generation and the millennials and what they want, I mean, over 90% of them demand a sustainable investing solution. Let's look at that. It's not just the youngsters. It's not the millennials. I think it, it has more to do with when that person learned about investing versus when they learned about the internet. Let me explain this, okay? Yeah. yeah. If you learned about Facebook or 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 Twitter or you know any of these things where you like something or you share something, right? If if that's mm-hmm. your conception of the world, you say, okay, this is something that I see, I like it, I'm going to give a thumbs up, I'm going to share that with my friends, and then it blows up on the internet, becomes a thing, okay? Mm-hmm. That person has kind of a participatory model to engaging with the world. When they learn about investing and an evidence-based investor comes along and says, you know, you have to own all 15,000 stocks uh, that are out there, even these ones that you can't stand. They're like, I'm not going to thumbs up. I'm not going to send money to. I'm not going to share, right? I love ExxonMobil or what have you. It just doesn't make any sense to them. Now, for someone who grew up in the 80s and 90s investing and their investment advisor says, you need to hold all stocks because stock picking is dangerous because analysts don't know what they're doing, right? That was the operating model then. And that made perfect sense Now, for that person, right? Full diversification and, 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 and not making tilts like this, that makes sense. But that person, that more people now have learned about the internet before they learned about investing. And so it's like the, the new model isn't a, a gambling casino model of the stock market. It's a gardening model. You know, tell someone to go feed nutrients and water uh, to the weeds that they, that they don't want in their garden, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're going to say, no, I'm going to pull those out, right? It just it doesn't make sense to the new investor. Final question, uh, Sam. Um, you know, if this podcast has has inspired, uh, you know, an advisor out there to to explore ESG, you know, what's the best way to start? I mean, this is a this is a, a big subject. How do you actually get started? Well, with my work with EBI, we do uh, a series of workshops. They're uh, one hour events uh, every month. Um, the next one is on July fourteenth. And it's kind of an introduction, overall introduction to ESG investing and what it would take to to uh, do it in your practice. Um, so go to ebi.co.uk/events and sign up for that free event on uh, July 14th. That's one way to to get started. Um, we also have, as part of Vert Education, a um, communications work bootcamp how to how to talk about sustainable investing with clients on August 18th. Um, so you can go to verteducation.com and, and sign up for that. And, you know, start asking questions of your asset management partners, the investment uh, managers that you use. Uh, most of them these days uh, have resources around sustainable investing. Uh, and if they don't, then look elsewhere. 
Sam, that that is really helpful. You, uh, one final thing for for you go. You mentioned a book there with Larry that you're writing. Uh, maybe you could tell us just a little bit more about that and, and w- where people can find it. It's called the Essential Guide to Sustainable Investing. It's effectively a, a how-to manual. Uh, it's not finished. It will be done uh, hopefully by uh, the end of the year. Um, and uh, we're using a UK publisher, so it will be available uh, in Europe as well. Thank you so much, uh, Sam, for your time and, and, and best of luck with, with, with Vert and all, all the excellent work that you're doing. Thank you, Robin, and thank you for all the excellent work that uh, you're doing. And that's about it for this episode. You've been listening to me, Robin Powell, on the Intelligent Advisor podcast, talking to Sam Adams from Vert Asset Management. Thank you to Sam and also to our sponsor, Regis Media. Regis has a wide range of high quality, customizable video content for advice firms to use. We also produce unique content to help you build an audience, to engage with clients and prospects and to grow your business. You can come to our fully equipped studio in Birmingham to record your videos, or we can come to you. We also work with firms outside of the UK. To learn more, why not visit our website? You'll find it at regismedia.com. That's regis, R-E-G-I-S, media.com. Please do subscribe to Intelligent Advisor if you haven't already. You'll find us on both SoundCloud and on iTunes. And finally, if you've enjoyed this episode, please write a review. We'd love to get your feedback. But for me, Robin Powell and our producer, James Cresswell, for now, goodbye.